and the Oscar goes to Tom Hanks in Philadelphia. And the Oscar goes to Lupita Nyong'o. And the Oscar goes to Halle Berry in Monsters Bay. And the Oscar goes to Hilary Swank in Boys Don't Cry. And the winner is Marvelous Meryl Streep. And the Oscar goes to Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. And the Oscar goes to Olivia Colman. Guys, we made it. We are at season three. I cannot believe it. Welcome back. I am Shirley McLean's dress that twirled up, Joey Gentili. And I'm in danger, girl, Brandon Stanwyck. <laughs> Yay, can you believe? I can, in fact, believe. It has been a long ride. It has been crazy. We're at season three. I know, like, see, it's only been three seasons only, but there's a lot that goes into this shit. Right. But I know this is not our first episode that we've recorded of this season. We have done um, one before this, and it was actually with a guest. So the guest was, when you'll hear it, it's actually next week's episode. The guest was in front of me in studio. But this is the first episode, Brandon, where I am staring at an empty chair, and it's kind of sad. Right, you're in the studio all by yourself. And why am I in the studio all by myself? Because I'm in Maryland. Maryland. How is Maryland treating you? It's been okay. There's a lot of really good food here. So that's been a highlight. Mm-hmm. It's uh, a little challenging because you can't get alcohol at a normal grocery store here like you can in Ohio. You have to go to an actual liquor store, even for like beer and wine. That's dumb. Yeah, so I can't get my Aldi wine and you can't get wine from CVS or anything because in Maryland that's not allowed. Boo. So that's one. That's one negative, but overall, it's been pretty good. Do you want to give a shout-out to the uh, Maryland library system? <laughs> oh, well, it's more of a shout-out to the Cleveland library system because they're much better. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a challenge getting some of these movies for season three through the Maryland public library system. They have some of the movies. Many of these libraries have them on DVD or Blu-ray, but some libraries do not like to lend them out or send them to another library for people to check out. So it's been a bit of a challenge. I did not have this problem in Ohio. <laughs> uh, our, our library system here is pretty fantastic, actually. Yeah, I, didn't, I always knew it was good, but I didn't realize how good it was until I moved here. <laughs> it's like one of those things you didn't really kind of appreciate until it was gone type yeah. scenarios. Yeah. Uh, how requests had been turned down for some movies. Like I've requested to do an interlibrary loan for some movies that say only one library has one DVD of. And a week later, I get informed that they declined it and they've chosen to not send it to me. So that's been a bummer. And for those people thinking like, well, why don't you just stream it? The whole point of this podcast is not to spend money. This is like something we do for fun. We have spent money on some things, but if we cannot spend money, of course, we're going to choose not to, which is why we've been utilizing the public library system. Right, right. I mean, really, we'll end up having to rent some of these on iTunes or something. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, we really only had to spend money, we mentioned it before, on Gabby, a true story. So I don't think, do we spend money on anything else? For some reason, I thought there was one more that we had to... Oh, we did uh, the go-between. We ended up renting the go-between on Amazon Prime because oh, that's that the right. tape was messed up. So that's we ended up right. renting it digitally. I forgot about that. Well, I mean, it's the fucking go-between. Come on. Yeah. 
Hello. Um, yeah, well, you are missed. How is Seth doing? He's doing pretty well. He's liking his new position, which is the whole reason that we moved here, so that's nice. Mm-hmm. Speaking of moving really quick, don't forget you need to change your address to get your indie spirits this year. Oh, right. Yes. Because I don't know about you, but um, as indie spirit... Okay, so that's the thing. So last year, like, I'm an indie spirit voter, but last year I wasn't able to because they're like, something with your membership, but I'm still getting all the membership emails. So uh-huh. at the time of this recording, which is August 8th, so yesterday... Um, there was for the members, if you wanted to submit your film for consideration for Indie Spirit Awards, you had, we got the email yesterday that was like, Hey, send it in by this date, but awards season is coming. Um, do you know else how I know awards season is coming? Well, obviously because of the banter on film Twitter always, but, um, I always take this as a sign, but I'm also like a basic white bitch. Like I love pumpkin anything, but I had my first Southern tier pumpkin last night and I've noticed that award season lines up perfectly when the pumpkin beers start rolling out. Oh, wow. I mean, that is also probably just a farce and I'm just so basic that I just have to throw in a shout out to my beloved pumpkin beers, but I don't, I don't fucking care. I fucks Uh with it. Um, but you know what is coming out this weekend, side note, and I'm really excited for it. And I also have to fucking complain about something really quick, but what's new? Um, uh, the Kitchen. I am so excited to see The Kitchen, um, that Melissa McCarthy and Tiffany Haddish and Elizabeth Moss movie. But I'm really jealous because The Farewell is not in any Cleveland theater yet. And it already really? expanded to a wide release. There is one theater it's playing at, and it's Valley View in Independence. Right. That's it. Not even like That's Crocker. None of the Cleveland cinemas have it. And like, it's a haul to get to that theater. Like, I'm literally debating, like, if it does, like, I'm not going all the way out there just for this movie. Like, if it doesn't expand, I'm not going to be able to see it until I get either it goes for screeners or just out on Blu ray. And I'm really upset. Yeah, because it is a wonderful movie. I saw it a couple weeks ago here, mm-hmm. and I was a big fan. It looks so good, and I hear like Aquafina and the Grandma have some Oscar buzz, and like people. I could see it happening. I yeah. hope it does actually. And people are calling it the little indie that could. I mean, it, this might be that year where we get that really solid independent lineup at the Oscars. Yeah. Did you see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yet? No, not yet. No, not so bueno. Oh yeah. Wasn't a fan of it. Wasn't a fan. But, um, but yeah, so guys, welcome to season three. Thank you for keeping us going. Um, you guys just heard before the season started the round table, which actually Brandon still hasn't. Uh, did you listen to it? No, Jim emailed me the, the MP3, but I haven't gotten to it yet. Okay. So by, I mean, by the time this comes out, everyone will hear, I've heard it. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to hear your opinion on that, Brandon, when you finally listen to it, but I, you want to get started? Okay. 1990, our birth decade. Right. So. So, um, your uh, Best Supporting Actress nominees from 1990 were... Annette Bening and the Grifters. Lorraine Bracco and Goodfellas. Whoopi Goldberg in Ghost. Diane Ladd in Wild at Heart. Mary McDonald in Dances with Wolves. 
Okay, let's kick it off here with our winner for the year, Whoopi Goldberg winning for Ghost. This is her second of two nominations, previously winning for The Color Purple. Or, I'm sorry, no. I messed that up. She was my winner for The Color Purple. I wrote that down wrong. Wishful thinking. This is her first and only win for Ghost. She was previously nominated for The Color Purple in 1985. Uh, going into this, she wins the Golden Globe, the BAFTA, the Saturn Award, the Image Award, the Kansas City Film Critics Award, and the Dallas Film Critics Award. In Ghost, Whoopi Goldberg plays Oda Mae Brown, a woman who poses as a psychic so as to swindle people out of money, and it turns out she actually is a psychic when a recently murdered man seeks her help. So, thoughts on Whoopi Goldberg in Ghost? Mm, the first thing that comes to Whoopi, or comes to my mind in Whoopi Goldberg in Ghost is just Molly, you and Danger Girl. And then, what? what is it? What, what, what did she say? $500,000! I think it's beautiful. I think this is a perfect example of if, you know, my, my saying, if you do comedy right, you should get the Oscar. And it is just wonderful. Um, I love the story, the backstory to this, how she got the role that Patrick Swayze was like, I want to do it with her. If I don't do it with her, I'm not doing it. Um, you know, I think, I, I think this is just such a great follow-up nomination to The Color Purple. I think this is such a great win. Um, there is not one negative I really have of this movie, the only, or, or this performance, I think the only thing would honestly be like, I was kind of upset that I feel like if this came out in modern times, we would get like an Otome spinoff and it just feels like this character could have had her own movie. Yeah, I see that. And um, I just think it's wonderful. I love this performance and I love this win. Yeah, I do too. I actually have no complaints about the win. Of course, I mean... It's no secret that if she were to only have one Oscar, this isn't the one that I would give it to her for. Mm. However, I'm perfectly cool <gasps> with her winning this. Bum, bum, bum. Um, well, that's not a spoiler for later. I'm just <laughs> saying it's not my favorite of her performances. Yeah. But I do think it's a really great performance. And like you were saying, I could totally see a spinoff. Um, I could see it being like some sort of murder she wrote type TV show where she's helping ghosts yes. solve their own murders or something ridiculous. Yes. Super cool. And Whoopi is hilarious in this. Um, she's given some really great lines, and I think she really makes the most out of this character. And I think it's a wonderful performance. I agree. I think this is a really good one. And I love the stories, too, at the Oscars, where she was like, I was stoned out of my mind. And um, it's it was pretty funny because I, I guess Whoopi had made a bet with all the other nominees that year and they all agreed to it. Whoever won would take the losers out to dinner and pay and Whoopi won and kept her promise. And I think that's so cool of her. And I just think this is such a good, funny, like classic, iconic character. Um, I mean, Otome, I mean, especially in the gay community, like you and danger girl and all that shit like that is, widely known like it's not one of those wins that are just like oh it's a win we know it was good it was like this it, this became icon status for Whoopi I honestly would would you disagree if I said like I think Oda her Whoopi as Oda May kind of became just as if not more iconic than Seeley perhaps um I think so I think Oda has certainly been memed more mm -hmm. than Seeley and there might be more uh joke clips online surrounding Ghost and Oda Mae. So I guess in a way, maybe um, 
that's a character younger generations have latched onto a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I think that makes sense because Oda May is a comedic character. Mm -hmm. So it's easy to do that with. Seelie is a pretty um, heart-wrenching character, so it'd be a little weird if Seelie were memed as much as Oda. But um, yeah, I think this definitely is the performance that um, younger people especially have recognized Whoopi for more so yeah. of her Oscar-nominated performances anyway. Yeah. I will say, too, um, this was also iconic for the status that Whoopi Goldberg was the first until Viola Davis, actually, to be um, the only black actress nominated for more than one Oscar. And she held that title until the Viola Davis and the Help, because that was Viola's second Oscar. So then they were tied, and then Viola for Fences and Octavia Spencer and all that, they became three and three. So um, Whoopi Goldberg's got a lot of firsts. She opened a lot of doors. Yeah, she was an Oscar host, I think, on more mm -hmm. than one occasion. And Four. Pretty well regarded as a host. Yeah, and not to mention that this was the first time a black actress had won an Oscar since Hattie McDaniel. So right. there was a lot of time in between. Um, you know, well, a black female. Black female, because you did have Louis Gossett Jr. and Sidney Poitier in there. Um, and wasn't um, Denzel the year before? glory oh yes that's right because Den denzel gave her the oscar i'm my yep i sit corrected i forgot who for who man i feel bad who forgets about denzel oops oh well <laughs> oh well good job whoop we love you whoop yeah yeah good uh good outing with ghosts yes and now we get her on the view right i, I really want her to come back and give a earth-shattering performance in another film and get another Oscar nomination because I think she has it in her. Well, I honestly like there was a movie in 2010 that came out that I thought she was really good in um, Tyler Perry's For Colored Girls. I never saw that. That actually Janet Jackson should have been a nominee from that movie, and I think Whoopi could have been a nominee from that movie for Wasn't sure. Candy Newton in that as well. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I dig it. I do too. Well, our next nominee is Annette Benning for The Grifters. This is her first of four nominations. Going into this, she wins the National Society of Film Critics, and she's nominated at the Dallas Film Critics Awards. And the next year, she would go on to be nominated for the BAFTA and the London Film Critics. In The Grifters, Annette Benning plays Myra, a con artist and girlfriend to John Cusack's Roy, who is also a con artist. And things get a little tricky when Roy's estranged mother, Lily, re-enters his life and stirs some things up. So thoughts on Annette Benning and the Grifters. So this is our first time of the of four wait, one, two, yeah, four. You said, um, of nominations for talking of Annette Benning. And I don't want to start the slate off like this, really, but I think this is just a weird nomination. Um especially I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, so like she's playing this like kind of like pin-up style character which I think would have been great if this movie took place in like the 20s and 30s. But the way she's portraying this character is just weird for the time frame. Um, and, you know, there's that point in the movie where she's talking about her past in the flashback and she's scamming this dude in this office building that like isn't even finished. And like the way her hair is done and the way she's put up, then she looks like she's like this weird 1950s housewife. I don't know. This, this is just a weird nomination. She's got this baby voice that doesn't work for me. Her line deliveries fall flat. I'm just not a fan of this one. I, um, 
this is not a fir- a good first nomination from Annette Benning for me. This is just weird. Right. So that's definitely all stylistic choices that you're talking about. And yeah, I can definitely see how it wouldn't work for some people because the I guess the director had Annette Benning model her character after Gloria Graham, specifically mm. Gloria Graham's performance in The Bad and the Beautiful. And this is a novel, the, the novel that the movie's based on, it was written in like the 50s or something. I don't have the year in front of me, but it was written a few decades prior to the film. So um, I think John McDonald wrote it. And so he's writing in this very pulpy time in literature, and he's you got all these film noir motion pictures coming out. And so it's definitely a stylistic choice mm-hmm. to keep to keep the character presented and behaving that way in 1990, especially considering no one else in the movie really behaves that way. Right. Now, her character is a scammer. She is a con artist who is constantly putting on fronts. So in a way, it kind of makes sense because I'm sure it's all fake. Like this voice, this persona that she puts on, this isn't real and it's not supposed to be real exactly. Mm -hmm. It's meant to be like a facade. So in a way, it kind of works for me. I understand what they're going for, but I can definitely see how some people would be put off by it. Mm -hmm. So I definitely hear where you're coming from. Yeah, um, so our guest from the class of 88, Craig Jordan, has a friend, and I can't remember if it's Louis Vertel or Justin Root, and um, he views Annette Benning. his Annette Benning is my Glenn Close. Oh, really? Really. He can't stand Annette Benning, And, um, yeah, it's... Uh, I think it's funny because I think this is the performance that really... This one or American Beauty was the one that really made him hate Annette Bening. But, um, yeah, this is just an odd, odd nomination for sure. Yeah, it's especially interesting considering a couple of years ago she had a film, was it film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool mm-hmm. where she plays Gloria Graham, the actress who she modeled this character off of. Mm-hmm. So I was actually, when I revisited The Grifters, I was thinking how The Grifters and Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool would be an interesting double feature mm-hmm. of Annette, watching Annette Benning model a character after Gloria Graham and then watch her literally play Gloria Graham right. later on in life. Just be an interesting uh, double header. It's meta as fuck. Yeah, so I don't hate this nomination. I think it's fine. Um, I, I do like Annette Benning. This is, of course, not my favorite of her performances, but... Um, she is doing some interesting work here. Whether it all comes together and fully works in the grand scheme of this film, I'm not entirely sure. But um, I do like Annette Benning as an actress, at the very least. Yeah, and it's funny, too, because um, I do believe that Shirley MacLaine should have gotten a Supporting Actress nomination for Postcards from the Edge. And I think it's funny that Annette Benning, for her small scene in Postcards, was a lot better in that role than she was in her, her entire nominated performance here for The Grifters. So I think it's kind of interesting. Like, hmm. I, I mean, as an Academy member, I don't know if she would have ever ha- had the nomination. But I think if I was the actor who puts you know people down for the nomination, I think I would have put Annette Benning for Postcards going with Shirley there. But that's just me. 
I always forget that Annette Benning is in postcards until I'm watching it and I go, is that Annette Benning? Yeah. And then I realize every single time I've watched postcards, I've done that exact same thing. Oh, same, same. It's just like going, speaking of color purple, it's just like going back when you were always, we always forget if Celie actually cuts Mr. Yeah. During the shaving scene, I'm like, oh my God, is, it, is she going to cut him? Is she going to cut him? It's the same, it's the same exact reaction yeah. for me. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. Oh, was this your first time watching The Grifters, by the way? No, I had seen it before. Okay. It had just been a long time. Okay. I remember watching this for the first time and totally being shocked that it was Annette Benning in the big twist who died. Right. But then, obviously, you know, the burn mark's not on the hand, so you kind of find out the twist a little early. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're paying attention. You, you see it coming. Yeah. All right. So our third supporting actress nominee is Lorraine Bracco, nominated for Goodfellas. This is her first and only nomination as of today. And going into this, she is she wins the Chicago Film Critics and the Los Angeles Film Critics, and she's nominated at the Golden Globes and with the New York Film Critics. In Goodfellas, Lorraine Bracco plays Karen, the a wife of Ray Liotta's Henry, and they get off to a bit of a rocky start in their relationship, but eventually his showy lifestyle seduces her and they marry. And she refuses to be a docile wife. She confronts Henry's mistresses. She moves some drugs for him. And at one point, she even pulls a gun on him. So thoughts on Lorraine Bracco and Goodfellas? So the first thing I think of, and this is actually the most fresh because I just had to revisit this last night um, before we did this. I'd seen it before. And I remember I saw it when I was way younger. And I just, as, as like a movie, when I saw it the first time, I was like, eh, I don't get the hype behind Goodfellas. And then I like rewatched it and could, have, and could appreciate it a lot more. Um, when I first saw this performance years ago, I wasn't super impressed by this. Rewatching it, though, like, I was like, oh, my God. Like, this actually makes sense for her character choices on some things that she does. Um, but, like, the first thing that I think of right away is that her voice in this reminds me so much of Melanie Griffith, especially in Working Girl. Um, which it's also New York accent. Yeah, yeah. And it's also, well, it's also known too that um, in Lorraine Bracco's um, uh, book that she wrote about her career, that she, she had been really pissed, side note, that she didn't get the role of Tess McGill in Working Girl because she said she gave a grade A um, audition. So she always held a grudge against Melanie Griffith. But anyway, um, I get Melanie Griffith vibes right away and actually could have probably seen Melanie Griffith do this role. But um, to get to Lorraine specifically here, um, at first, she comes off a little annoying. She comes off as the, uh, and I hate to say this, but like the um, the normal, quote-unquote, Scorsese woman. Uh, but then she also gets the little distinction of actually doing something that not many Scorsese women have been able to do in the films and actually carry a subplot, um, which I think she does extremely well. Um, she actually gets something to do with her character, and she's not just the wife. Um, so I really actually appreciate her in this a lot. And I think that this is the first, because, you know, she would go on to a really successful career with the Sopranos. This is the first little bit of mobster that we get. But I also think that because of the Sopranos after this, she also kind of got, um, typecasted. So I would like to see what else Lorraine Bracco could do outside of just mob wives and judges. Yeah. So I completely agree with you here. Um, Karen Hill, I would say, is an exception to the Scorsese women. I mean, we've said on a few prior episodes that he doesn't always give his female characters a whole lot to do other than being secondary to the men. But Karen does get a lot of stuff to do. And I think she is a fully rounded character. Um, 
perhaps that's also in you know the writing and the directing, but Lorraine Bracco takes Karen and makes her fully three-dimensional. And I believe that she is a real person. Of course, she is based on a real person. Uh, Henry and Karen are real people this movie's based on. But um, Lorraine really brings everything to the forefront here. And this is a movie that I've seen many times growing up. Like, this is one of my stepfather's favorite movies. And really? One of those movies, yeah, and this is one of those movies that just always seems to be on TV. Or at least when I was a kid, it was. It was always on, like, TNT or AMC or something. And so if nothing else is on, my family had it on in the background. And so Lorraine Bracco and this movie have been in my life for a long time. And um, to touch on The Sopranos, like you were saying, Lorraine Bracco actually plays my favorite character on The Sopranos. I know a lot of people don't give Jennifer Melfi very much credit, but I think she's the most fascinating character on The Sopranos, and I think Lorraine Bracco has a lot to do with that. Mm -hmm. And I think she's a really great actress, and I wish we would see more from her. And it's too bad that um, the film industry didn't seem to know what to do with her or didn't seem to give her the roles that she deserved, because I think she's really great here. And honestly... The scene that I think of when I think of Goodfellas is Karen pulling that gun on Henry in bed. Yeah, like that's like the first image, that close up of the the barrel of the gun with Lorraine behind it, slightly out of focus. That's a beautiful shot, and Lorraine and um, Ray Liotta in that scene are just just lightning. They're so good, and I think this is definitely a worthy nomination for Lorraine Bracco, and it's too bad it's the only one that we get. Yeah, I um. It, it, I do want to mention, I think Ray, Ray Liotta playing a 21-year-old at that point was one of the worst casting decisions in the world because it's so not believable that this old man is this 21-year-old when the movie first starts. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I'm very shocked that this is the only nomination that Lorraine Bracco's um, got to her name. But And especially because we're coming up on 30 years already since it happened. Um, it's just it's odd to me that she didn't get more to do in the industry. I mean... Two years later, I don't know if you've ever seen, well, what is that movie with Elijah Wood? Um, Radio Flyer, I think it's called. I don't think so. Uh, uh, I'm going to IMDb that really quick because I'm pretty sure it's called Radio Flyer. But she plays a mom to Elijah Wood's character and like this other kid. And um, pretty much they have to escape their her abusive husband or boyfriend. And it's a really beautiful movie. And she's, oh yeah, it is Radio Flyer. Um a father recounts a dark period of his childhood when he and his little brother lived in the suburbs. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, it she's really good in that. And it's, it's just a great movie. I highly recommend checking it out. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, I mean, she's really good. I wish she would get more to do, but I, 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 yeah. I, I like this nomination. I do too. Yeah. Well, our next nominee is Diane Ladd for Wild at Heart. This is her second of three nominations, having been nominated for Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore in 1974. She does not get any wins going into this, but she was nominated at the Golden Globes. In Wild at Heart, Diane Ladd plays Marietta Fortune, the mother to Laura Dern's Lula. Marietta does not approve of Lula's relationship to Sailor, played by Nicolas Cage, so she repeatedly tries to have him murdered. So thoughts on Diane Ladd and Wild at Heart? I love Diane Ladd and Wild at Heart. She is two scoops of cuckoo kachoo. She is fucking amazing. And I, Wild at Heart is also my favorite David Lynch movie. Um, I, I just think it's the craziest batshit nutty road trip movie and oh god i just like she, this character i'm sorry 
repeat her character's name again. Marietta Fortune. Marietta. I was going to say mother, but then I realized mother is the name of her character in the next, the next year. Um, Marietta is just like so over the top. This like fuck me milf. If you don't fuck me, I'm going to kill you. Crazy like black widow. That lipstick scene. Okay. So you're going to, you're going to go down to New Orleans and we're going to have that French restaurant. And it like, she like whispers and like does this gorgeous accent and it's just, oh, the pink nails and the pink on the face. And I'm like, fuck me, mother. I love this. I do too. I think <laughs> Diane Ladd is amazing here. Yes. Um, Wild at Heart is sort of the David Lynch movie that most people seem to forget about. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the Die Hard fans love it, but um, it's not the one that people immediately think of when they think of David Lynch. And I think everyone in this movie is perfect. Um, mm-hmm. Diane Ladd is super leaning into this weird, messed up dreamscape, fucked up, warped reality yeah. that David Lynch is creating. And she perfectly matches the tone and the atmosphere of the movie. And she really goes there. She goes balls to the wall and nutty mm-hmm. so many times in this movie. And it's not over the top per se because it completely works. Yes. It's exactly what the movie and the role is demanding of her. So she's not being too big. She's being the perfect amount of big right. for this movie. And Laura Dern and Nicolas Cage, same thing. Nicolas Cage, I think, is actually really well-suited for this movie and this performance mm-hmm. because it's the exact same thing. This is perfect casting because this is exactly where Nicolas Cage excels. And I think David Lynch was really smart to cast Diane Ladd here because he needed someone who would tap in to what he was going for, and she definitely did that. Yes, I agree. And it's so funny. I did bring it up uh, a moment ago, but like next year when we talk about her, it's such a 180 for a mother character for her, especially for, you know, playing the mother to Diane Ladd, or I'm sorry, to uh, Laura Dern in practically both of these. Um, I would also like to shout out Laura Dern. I think this should have been a nomination for her because she is so good as Lula. Um, I could have seen it, yeah. It, I mean, I I do know who doesn't like her, and that's Andrew Cart. And I think we've talked him and I have discussed that really quick. Um, but I, I this is just such a good movie, and it's it's so weird. I mean, it's David Lynch, but like like the Wizard of Oz bubble at the end, and like mm-hmm. the the shout out to Twin Peaks with the girl in the desert with the blood, and of course the fucked up grill of Willem Dafoe, and it's just oh, it's so good. So good. And those sex scenes are hot. I'm not going to... This was a a fun movie to revisit. Yeah. I've not seen it in years, and I was thrilled from start to finish. I really, really enjoy this performance a lot. And, side note, you can find it on YouTube. Um, There's a video of Sally Kirkland entering the Oscars, and she, uh, she gets interviewed. And she's like, who do you want to win? And she's like, I really want Diane Ladd to win. And then she's like, but they're all my friends. And I'm like, so we know who voted for Diane Ladd that year. And that would have been Sally motherfucking Kirkland. I could have seen Sally doing this role, actually. Yes. There's no way Sally would have taken that role, though, as the mother. I mean, she had just turned down um, Diane Weiss' role as the mother in Parenthood. I don't think she wanted to play the mother, even though she was in that age range at that point. Um, But I 100% could have seen Sally Kirkland do this role. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a goodie. You know who else could have done this role? Karen Black? That's right. Yay! Well, it's funny because you know who else could have done this role? Who? Madeline Kahn. Oh, hell yeah. Like, 
A hundred percent. Oh my God, that is... A, well, I mean, Karen Black kind of did have this role, though, in House of 1000 Corpses, and she just wasn't as, like... It's similar, yeah. Yeah. So... But yeah, this. I just want I just want five different versions of this movie where all those actresses just play the role. Yes, yes, and then we can nominate all five of them. Yes, it'd be a, a category of just wild at heart with each actress getting their own nomination for each separate film. A hundred percent. Okay, I want to throw this to another actress really quick, and I want your honest opinion. Actually, I'm going to give you two: Jenna Rollins. Okay. But the other one who I thought of originally was Diane Carroll. Oh, that'd be interesting, too, mm-hmm. yeah. Throwing it back to 74's lineup there. Um, but I think both of those two would have been... Any, I feel like there's so many good actresses who could do this role. I, I would give this role to Melissa McCarthy now, even. like. There's so many great actresses who would do something great with this role, but they would all be different. Yes. You know they wouldn't all be the same. They wouldn't just be carbon copies of Diane Ladd. Mm-hmm. They would all play to their different strengths and what was, ne- was required of them mm-hmm. for the role, and they would all be great. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. So our fifth nominee is Mary McDonald, nominated for Dances with Wolves. This is her first of two nominations. She does not get any wins going into this, but she is recognized at the Golden Globes and with the Dallas Film Critics. In Dances with Wolves, Mary McDonald plays Stands with a Fist, a white woman who became um, an adopted member of the Sioux tribe whose uh, land... Uh, borders on Kevin Costner's military posting and eventually uh, stands with a fist and Dunbar, the Kevin Costner character, become romantically involved. So thoughts on Mary McDonnell and Dances with Wolves. Oh, honey. Oh, honey. Did you say fist? Honey, honey, that's a Tuesday night, honey. Um, Very interesting character name. I think this is the only time the Oscars will ever nominate a character called Stands with a Fist. Um... See, I'm not a huge fan of Dances with Wolves in general, so when I think of anything from Dances with Wolves, I'm kind of brought down a little bit because I'm just like, this movie sucks. But um, Mary McDonald, she's really not doing anything here to, I think, garner a nomination. She's kind of a lot of just background. Um, Her character isn't really given an arc of, like, anything. Um, I'm, I'm almost wondering if this was just kind of like a coattail nomination... Um, because I'm not, like, over the top of it, but I'm also not, like, nah, she didn't totally undeserve it. I, I just don't know where I stand with this one, to be honest Honest with you. I think I'm right in the middle. Like, I'm so neutral on it. I, could, I don't really care, but I also, like, you know, care. Yeah, so my feelings on Mary McDonald in Dances with Wolves are pretty mixed. I love Mary McDonald as an actress. Yes. I think she's super underrated, and she's another actress who just did not get the opportunities that she deserved. Like, mm-hmm. love her on Battlestar Galactica, loved her on The Closer, and her Scream 4. Major Crimes, uh, Donnie Darko. She is a really great actress who just does not get enough credit. And in Dances with Wolves, I think this is a case of an actress doing more than what is required of her. I think this is a character who's underwritten and played by a lesser actress, could have just completely blended into the background and been a two-dimensional romantic interest for the Kevin Costner character, but I think Mary McDonald is doing her best to, to create a fully fleshed character. Maybe the movie's a little bit too big and isn't as interested in creating a fully fleshed character as she is, and so sometimes it does feel like she's blending in a little bit, but I think she's really trying to do something here, and unfortunately the movie's just not 
building her up in the way she probably needs. And I can definitely see what you're saying, that perhaps this was a coattail, because this was a really big, well-regarded movie. One best picture. Yeah. And so I can definitely see how they could have just thrown her in there as what some people would call a filler nomination. But I think that's also not very kind to Mary McDonald because I think she is doing some good work here. It's just that the movie doesn't seem to be interested in working with her, if that makes sense. Yeah, pretty much if you're not Kevin Costner in this film about Native Americans that deals with Native American storytelling, you don't mean shit in this movie. Yeah. Which is also um, problematic. Yeah, I mean, the movie is a little bit more um, what some people would call woke for its time. Mm-hmm. doing something really um, humane with these Native, Ameri- Native American characters. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's told through the lens of a white director and a white protagonist. So that in and of itself is a little bit troubling. But it, the movie is at least exploring the lives of these characters in a very humane way which is something we unfortunately can't say about a lot of the Westerns of the past dealing with Native American characters. <laughs> John Wayne. So, so this movie does have some good things going for it, but there's definitely room for improvement. Yes, I agree. I so agree. That was, unless uh, we had anything else on Mary McDonald, that was our final supporting actress. No. No, I got nothing. I'm good for now. All right. Well, that means we're moving along to the lead actresses of 1990. And your nominees were... Kathy Bates in Misery. Angelica Houston in The Grifters. Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman. Meryl Streep in Postcards from the Edge. Joanne Woodward in Mr. and Mrs. Bridge. Okay, starting with this year's winner, we have Ms. Kathy Bates as Annie Wilkes in Misery. This is her first of three nominations. This would be her only lead actress nomination and her only win. Um, She would follow this up with Primary Colors and About Schmidt um, later on in the decade and the following decade in the supporting categories. Going into Oscar night, she had a Golden Globe win for Best Actress in a Drama and the New York Film Critics Association nomination for Best Actress. In Misery... Uh, Again, Kathy plays Annie Wilkes, who is the number one fan of this author that gets into a car wreck that ends up being conveniently near Annie Wilkes' home in Colorado. And um, she starts off, according to the audience and to this character of Paul, uh, with good intentions, but ends up being a little more than he bargained for as she just goes fucking batch it crazy to prove that she is really Paul's number one fan. Brandon, what to say you, Mr. Book Extraordinaire on Annie Wilkes? I love Kathy Bates in Misery. Mm-hmm. I think this is like a performance of a lifetime. Uh, perfectly cast, brilliant, everything. Um, this is also just a really great adaptation of the novel. It takes certain liberties and changes a few things, but I think for the better. Um, Agreed. Kathy Bates creates a truly terrifying character, but terrifying because it's completely believable because she doesn't start out batshit crazy. Paul wakes up from his 
little coma. And she seems like a beacon of hope. This like nurse who loves him and is going to nurse him back to health and help him along and whatnot. And then as it goes on, she completely loses it. And it is a roller coaster to watch her descend and come back and turn around. And she goes through so many different channels of lunacy. And Kathy Bates, I think, nails it. I would agree. Um, I mentioned when we did our 76 episode with Carrie, there was a period of my time in grade school where I read all of King's original like novels up until like 2002 or something like that. And so I had seen Misery before I had read the book. And you're absolutely right. The film changes some things, but I think for the better. Like, um, the most notable thing is the the, the ankle scene. Um, in the book, she uses an axe and cuts into his ankles and then sets them ablaze, like the wounds on fire. Um, and I think it was good for the book, but for the movie, I think the... Um, the sledgehammer to the legs were, was a lot more effective, especially visually and hearing it. Um, yeah. Also, too, when Annie Wilkes dies in the book, like her hands, they find her in the barn with her hand around a chainsaw after getting hit in the face with that like little piggy thing. Um, so I think it just it, it worked perfectly for the for for the movie. Um, as it, I agree when I say or when you said Kathy Bates is perfectly cast here, but it also makes me wonder too because originally I guess Bette Midler was attached to this role, and I think that would have been really interesting to see. Um, but I I think in the long run this worked out the best way it could have because I don't. This is one of those few roles roles where yeah we hear Bette Midler could have done it, but I don't think anybody could have played this like Kathy Bates. Um, right. And I love that the horror or that the Academy embraced horror and a horror performance here. Um, but she's really she's over the top, but she's good over the top. She's handy where she needs to be. It is the perfect combination of comedy and fucking terrifying drama. Right, because there is a certain level of black comedy in her character, even when she's being frightening as hell. Mm-hmm. Like I find the way that she refuses to curse scary. He like didn't get out of with, the cock-a-duty car. Right. She's coming up with all these weird curse words that actually my grandmother uses. Like, no. Ironically. <laughs> like, she has these weird words. Like, I think she does say cock-a-duty and things like that. And so when Kathy Bates is saying these words in this completely psychotic tone, it's really unnerving. And it's so much worse than if she were just saying fucking and bitch and whatever but she does slip a couple times and she curses and that sends her even farther over the deep end and it's truly frightening to watch mm-hmm. it is one of those performances where as the viewer you're you're really unnerved by it because you don't know where like what style of crazy she's gonna go to um but yeah i mean like i know mr man like her line delivery for that is so I'm, I don't want to use bad because it's so good, but it's so left. I'm going to say it's so left field, but it right, fits the character. Yes. Right, it, there's a certain affect to it that totally works. Yes. Like when she's like, when she comes in to Paul's room and she just like stares at him and she's like, you lying old dirty birdie. Yeah. And, and those words are they're so first grade. Yeah. But the way she says them, you know something bad is about to happen. Yes. And you really get put into Paul's place 
because you don't know when she comes into the room which version of Annie Wilkes you're about to get. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And it's, it's truly scary, and I love that the Academy is willing to embrace it. Agreed. I love this. I think this is really good. Yeah, I agree. Do you have anything else you want to add to Kathy Bates? Uh, not at the moment. All right. Well, moving on. This is the first time we get to talk about her in this category, and it, it's actually going to be the last, unless she pulls something out of her ass. Um, but Angelica Houston as Lily Dillon in The Grifters. This is her third of three nominations. She had one for her first in 1985 for Pritzi's Honor and Supporting, and she was nominated the year before. But you and I gave her the Oscar for Enemies, A Love Story. Um, going into Oscar night, she was kind of a mixed bag here. She was nominated for the New York Film Critics Association, and she was nominated for the Golden Globe for Best Actress in Drama, but she was kind of the critics' darling because she won the LA Film Critics, the New York, the National Society of Film Critics, and then she won the Independent Spirit Award for Best Actress, so she was a huge contender into winning this year, possibly. Um, in The Grifters, Angela Houston again plays Lily Dillon, who is the estranged mother to the John Cusack character, who is also a con artist who's been in the game the longest, who is who thinks she may have an upper hand, but her boss really puts her down to her level, but who will also do anything to survive, which includes trying to fuck her son for some cash. When you got to get to point A to point B, you'll do anything. Um, What do you think about her? So I really like Angelica Houston in this. I think this is a role that's perfectly suited for her. Like we touched on it a little bit with Pritzi's Honor, where she kind of, as an actress, is sort of transitional Mm -hmm. from this old school to new school. And this movie being based on a pulpy novel from like the mid-century, I think really works for her. Mm -hmm. She has this sort of older femme fatale sense to her, like a maternal femme fatale. And I think she really fits the mold of what this movie is going for. I think she really belongs in this world. And so I think this is a really great outing for Angelica Houston. I agree. I uh, I like this a lot. Like, I like this a lot, a lot. And I think that um, one of her best scenes and her best acting in general that I think Angela Houston has ever done was when she accidentally kills John Cusack, um, her son, yeah. and she, like, lets out this... <gasps> and, like, like the way... I it, Yes, we're watching a movie. We know these are actors, but I genuinely believe that would have been an instant reaction to any mother who accidentally kills her son um it's fucking heartbreaking it's uncomfortable it's it's truly a performance that makes you realize that people will do anything to survive um i think she's perfectly cast here just like bates in misery um and it's also very interesting to see a blonde angelica houston (laughs) Because I don't think we've ever seen that before since or before that. Um, But, yeah, I think this is... You know, with Pritzi's Honor, we weren't too keen on her. That was a very confusing win, I think, for the both of us. Um, You know, we both gave her the Oscar last year. Or uh, um, for 89. Well, yeah, it would have been last year for this. Um, But I gotta say, out of her nominee performance, even though I gave the Oscar to her in 89, this may be my favorite Angelica Houston nomination. Yeah, I think she's wonderful here. And yeah, perfectly cast, perfectly performed. And like you were saying, her wheeze, or whatever you want to call it, when she finally realizes that she has accidentally murdered her son, is palpable. Like, I was already on board with Angelica Houston and her performance in The Grifters, but at that climactic 
realization and her entirely physical response to it, I was completely taken over by her. Yeah. Like, like that was, that's like next level shit. Like she like hit me in a way that I was not expecting. And I had seen this movie before and I remembered that she kills her son, but I forgot, I had forgotten how and, and precisely when. And of course I had completely forgotten her reaction. And so revisiting it this last time, it completely took me by surprise, even though I had seen it before. And mm. that's really remarkable if you're able to do that as a performer. Agreed. Agreed. Anything else? Um, not right now. All right. Moving on to Ms. Julia Roberts. This is her second consecutive nomination. She was nominated the year before um, for Steel Magnolias. Um, but this is her lead nom first, lead first lead nomination as Vivian Ward in Pretty Woman. This is her two of second of four. This would be followed by Erin Brockovich and then August Osage County. Um, going into Oscar night, she won the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Comedy Musical, so she was a back-to-back -back Golden Globe winner. And she had the BAFTA nomination for Best Actress and the Kids, Kids uh, Nickelodeon Choice Award she won for Best Actress, which I put this in here because I find it hilarious that she won the Kids Nickelodeon Choice Awards for playing a hoe. I love it. Like, that is fantastic. The kids were like, we like this hoe. We, 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 we give this hoe an award. Um, so in Pretty Woman, again, Julie Roberts plays Vivian, who is a L.A. streetwalker who meets the man of her dreams, who buys her fucking everything, and it's really hard to watch other people live out your goddamn dreams. Brandon, <laughs> what do you say about this? Um, so I see why a lot of people really love this performance and this movie. Um, she's charming. She's funny. Um, totally makes sense why... This is a movie that really works for other people, but this is not really one for me. Mm -hmm. um, it's not exactly my cup of tea. Um, I think, like I said, she's charming. She's delightful. She's funny. She's um, fun to watch on screen. Um, she's not doing anything actively bad, in my opinion. It just doesn't. It just doesn't really resonate with me in that way. And so, for me, this movie's um, just okay, and her performance is all right but it's not exactly something I'm going to rave about, but I also don't really have anything too terribly negative to say about it. Yeah. You know, there's, a, I'm not keen on this one. Like I wasn't keen with her in steel Magnolias. I, um, I'm also really interested because pretty woman is infamously remembered to originally have been conceived as like a dark horror film. And to go from that original script, which if you ever can read it, find it, it's really fascinating. Um, to go to this is just like, meh. um, I definitely see why it was such a zeitgeist pop culture movement, especially for the nineties there to start off the decade with. Um, and you know, it did get icon status and good for her, but this just isn't doing anything for me. This is not, um, it's interesting that, I mean, this is definitely a golden globe movie, but I'm very intrigued that this had moved over to be an Oscar nominated performance from her. Right, that's, that surprises me, too. Um, of course, like, whenever we say things like that, I'm always, like, happy for the actresses. Like, really cool. Good job, Julia Roberts. You broke through with this, this uh, romantic comedy that took audiences by storm, and you got your Oscar nomination, and I think that's really cool. Yeah. It's just not for me, and probably not a performance that I personally would have nominated, but, um, yeah, good for her. She became America's sweetheart from it, and I think it's clear why. But um, it's a Gary Marshall movie and Gary Marshall yeah. movies have this like 
feeling about them. They don't feel like real movies. I don't they know. They take place in this like lighthearted alternate universe. Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like the MCU. There's the Marshall, but the, this is the MCU for it's the Gary MCU, um, where all of Gary Marshall's cinematic universe films are all connected in some weird fucked up way. Um, it's I. It's nothing to write home with on me though. Yeah, it's okay for me. Moving on then. Yeah. We have, starting off the decade, Meryl Streep as Suzanne Vale in Postcards from the Edge. This is her ninth of 21 nominations. So this is a clear love of Meryl Streep from the Academy at this point. They fucking love, they love this bitch. Um, Going into Oscar night, though, she only had a Golden Globe nomination for Actress in a Common Musical. And this is the only Oscar ceremony where Meryl didn't show up. The only time she wasn't there when she was nominated. Um, in Postcards from the Edge, which essentially, to side note, is a semi-autobiographical story of Carrie Fisher, rest in peace, Queen. Um, it was written by Carrie Fisher, where uh, Meryl Streep plays an actress with a drug addiction who overdoses, almost dies, and starts dealing with sobriety to get her career back on track. Um, what do you think about Meryl in Postcards from the Edge? I think Meryl's really funny here. Um <laughs> This is a really great performance for Meryl. I love when we get comedy from her. Um, she was doing that a lot in the 90s, and I think this kind of uh, maybe kicked it off a little bit. And I think she's really funny here. I think she really taps into that sort of Carrie Fisher neuroses that we hear about so often and that we saw when Carrie Fisher did her wishful drinking one-woman show. Um, having all that background information about Fisher, I think, really elevates the performance that Meryl's giving. And um, I think it's a really funny insight into filmmaking and all the screwy ins and outs that go into making movies and all the weird things that have to fall into place for a movie to even happen, like how Meryl's character cannot be insured by the production. And that's a problem because if you're not insured and something goes wrong, the movie loses tons of money and the movie might not even get finished. And all this pressure gets put on Meryl to get straight, and comedy ensues. So I think this is a really fun performance for Meryl. Yeah, I agree. I really, really enjoy Postcards from the Edge. It's one of my favorite movies of the 90s. And, um, you know, I've already made my opening to Shirley MacLaine, you know, and I mentioned she should have been a supporting actress nominee here. And I really, really enjoy Meryl Streep in this. Um, I think this is a great nomination for her. And it's it's such a refreshing light because up until this point, all of Meryl's nominations were drama. So this was the first time we really saw her in that comedic role. And I love it. I think this is really good. Um, I really don't have any negatives about this one. I also, I, I actually do. If, <laughs> I know this is pretty petty, but um, in the at the ceremony, do you know what Meryl's Oscar clip from this movie was out of everything? No. Her singing at the end. Oh. Very odd. Very, yeah, very odd. Considering this isn't a singing movie. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, this is really enjoyable. I think I think Meryl gives us a complete 180 from what we're used to. Um, she blends perfectly the great drama that this film needs, but the perfect comedy. And she looks like Goldie Hawn in this movie, in my opinion. Um, hmm. I think this is just wonderful all around. I really, really like this. Yeah, I do too. Um, this is a really fun movie. 
Um, of course, we've already mentioned Annette Benning and Shirley MacLaine and how Shirley probably definitely should have been nominated because she's also wonderful mm-hmm. in her sort of Debbie Reynolds-esque character. Mm-hmm. It would have been great to have seen both ladies nominated for this. Yes. Unfortunately, we only got Meryl. Yes. And rumor has it that Jamie Lee Curtis and Janet Lee were approached to play this these roles. Oh, that would have been interesting. Mm-hmm. But I think it didn't work out on Janet Lee's scheduling, which not to throw shade, but um, what that bitch got at this time to do. Yeah, I don't know if I want to see anyone other than Shirley McLean play that part. Of course, a part of me really would be would like to see mm-hmm. Jamie Lee Curtis and Janet Lee's version. But I feel like Shirley McLean was just so perfect in that Debbie Reynolds mold. Yeah. I almost don't even need anyone else to do it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I like yeah. it. I like it a lot. I, I really like Postcards from the Edge. Like, it's one of those movies yeah. that I, if it's on, I'll watch, and I just won't ever get bored of it. Mm-hmm. And one I like those Mike Nichols movies that people forget about. Yeah, and I love the Valley of the Dolls reference in that movie with all the pills. Yeah. Like, I think that's beautifully lit and shot, and I think it's really good. I like it. I do, too. Moving on? Mm-hmm. All right. This is the last time we get to talk about her. Joanne Woodward as India Bridge in Mr. and Mrs. Bridge. This is her fourth of four nominations. Um, previously won for Three Faces of Eve. Nominated for uh, Rachel Rachel. Nominated for um, uh, Summer Wishes Winter Dreams. Who was That was your winner that year for 73. Um, going into Oscar night. She had one win and a bunch of nominations. The win was from the New York Film Critics Association for Best Actress. And then all of these were for Actress. Golden Globe nomination, Spirit Nom, LA Film Critics, and the National Society of Film Critics. In Mr. and Mrs. Bridge, Joanne Woodward plays a housewife. That's it. Because I don't know what else. I don't know what else she fucking does in this movie. So I really like Joanne Woodward in Mr. and Mrs. Bridge. (laughs) Um, All right. (laughs) Sorry. So I I think this is a really good nomination for her. Um, I would say this is probably definitely the least seen of the five nominations that we have in lead actress and um the movie itself is not super great but i think joanne woodward is doing some really interesting work here i really felt for her at times because it takes place in this sort of is it the 30s or the 40s or something like that and paul newman plays her husband and he's this like super republican conservative americana rah-rah sort of dude and She's a woman who has been sort of kept for a long time. She's sort of just been playing this female role that she's been sort of compartmentalized into. And over time, she becomes um, slightly more well-read, a little bit more liberated, and she starts to question the things around her and the way she's been told to live her life and abide by her husband no matter what. Like, there's a scene where they're at this restaurant, and there's literally a hurricane happening, and the windows are shattering, and rain and lightning is everywhere, and everyone takes cover and goes, like, like into the basement or something. And the Paul Newman character is like, no, it'll be fine. Let's finish our dinner. And so they're in this restaurant. There's has no electricity, and they're it looks like they're about to die, but they stay at the table because he said so. And she stays there because he said so. And she even gets up at one point to get him, like, salt and pepper from another table while, like, windows are shattering and there's wind coming in and rain. And it's ridiculous. And that's just how indoctrinated this sort of American patriarchy is in her life. 
And to watch her slowly break free from that over time, I found really compelling. And I think she does some really beautiful work here. Okay. <laughs> uh, that was, I honestly wasn't expecting that from you at all. So I, I'm glad that you got way more from this than I did. Um, because this is one of those nominations that has me scratching my head because she doesn't do anything. Um, I find the film to be very boring. I don't think it goes anywhere. I don't think any of these characters go anywhere. Um, I don't, she doesn't have a moment for me. She's not super, she's not subtly getting a nomination here. She's not over the top. She's, I honestly, I honestly feel like she just got a nomination because her name is Joanne Woodward. But I mean, I guess if that's the case, she would be nominated for every, everything she ever did. I don't see it. I don't, I don't get any of that. Um, the, I, she's a housewife and they nominated her for playing a housewife. I don't, I don't see any of that personally. Um, I'm glad you get more than it, than I do, but it's, yeah, this is a no for me. This is a hard no for me. Yeah. I don't think the movie itself is super great. But I think she's doing some really interesting stuff here. I find it to be a very interesting dissection mm -hmm. of that sort of mid-century American way of life, that sort of picket fences, sub, uh, suburban nightmare sort of thing, where women were subjugated to being housewives and being trapped. And you can tell she doesn't want to be that, or over time she at least realizes it. And she's doing what she can to break free from it without disturbing the family unit, which is like the utmost thing that must remain intact for a woman in her position. So I think she's in a really troubling spot and it's, um, it's a challenge for her. And that's sort of her struggle is to be free while also not um, turning over too many tables in the process. See, and there you go. This is why there is more than one person on this show. There you go. There you go. Um, yep, I got nothing else from that one. Okay. Are you ready? I think so. All right. Take us off, ma'am. Okay, so as a reminder, your supporting actress uh, nominees from 1990 were Whoopi Goldberg in Ghost, Annette Bening in The Grifters, Lorraine Bracco in Goodfellas, Ooh. Diane Ladd in Wild at Heart, and Mary McDonald and Dances with Wolves. And I am giving my number five spot to Mary McDonald for Dances with Wolves. I love Mary McDonald. I think she's a wonderful actress who really deserves better. But um, unfortunately, this performance is nowhere near Oscar worthy for me, even though I think she's doing more perhaps than what is being asked of her. But when you're in a lineup with these other ladies, that's not quite enough for me. So she gets my number five. I'm going to agree. Mary McDonald is also getting my five. I um, I think I pretty much said, you know, my feelings towards it. I don't know. I'm not like, I, it's not like that I don't care for this, but it's also not like I care. I'm very neutral on it. So because this performance doesn't really give me anything to feel good or bad, I just, I can't put it any higher than five. Mm -hmm. So... Annette Benning gets my number four for The Grifters. Um, I enjoy Annette Benning pretty much every time she's on screen. But this role is a little um, strange, like we were saying earlier. I don't know if it quite fits 
with the movie, it kind of does. Yet at the same time, it kind of doesn't. It's really interesting. Um, I think she's doing some really interesting character work with this whole Gloria Graham film noir thing. But um, it doesn't really grab me in the way that um, some other stuff does. So Annette Benning gets my number four. Um, I agree. Annette Benning is also my number four. Um, I, I still don't think that this character choice that she's doing fits with this time. It would have, it would have made more sense had this movie been one of those film noir, like Mildred Pierce esque styled films. Um, very odd first nomination for Annette Benning. Um, it's more memorable than Mary McDonald, but it's just, there's three better ones and it just falls into that. The other three were doing more for me category. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So this top three was tricky for me. I've been kind of rearranging them uh, periodically and I'm getting just nitpicky at this point and kind of just going with my gut as I'm feeling in the moment. But I'm putting Whoopi Goldberg at number three for Ghost. I think she's hilarious here and she is definitely by far, I think, the thing people remember and quote the most from Ghost. But um, there's something about the other two that I guess just stick with me and draw me in just a little bit more. So Whoopi Goldberg gets my number three. Heard. Well, I'm actually giving my third to Lorraine Bracco. Um, she, like, like I mentioned, when I first saw Goodfellas years ago, I didn't appreciate it as much. And I was very like, eh, what the hell is she doing getting a nomination here? Um, but I definitely think that rewatching it, which I'm glad that I did, um, she was the first to really pull out the Scorsese woman stereotype and do something here. Um, and, you know, of course mentioned the Sopranos and Radio Flyer. And so there is a love for Lorraine Bracco for me. Unfortunately for this, um, I just don't find this win-worthy, nomination-worthy, yes. Win-worthy, no. Um, I guess I guess it'll do which we haven't said in a while. Her character was just one of those I want more. I feel like we haven't said that since Christine Lottie. And um, yeah, if I would have gotten more, maybe she would have been higher. But yeah, I got to give her three. So my two that I have left are Diane Ladd and Wild at Heart and Lorraine Bracco and Goodfellas. And this is even harder than my top three because I'm really just nitpicking at some point and just going with what I'm feeling right now. And I'm going to give Diane Ladd my runner-up spot for Wild at Heart. I'm giving Lorraine Bracco the win for Goodfellas. Uh, Diane Ladd is wonderful in Wild at Heart. I think she is well-suited for this and she really goes there and does what needs to be done. If an another actress had gone any less it wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have fit the movie. And I think Diane Ladd is certainly worthy of recognition for Wild at Heart. But Lorraine Bracco creates a fully rounded character for me in Goodfellas that we don't always get from the female characters in Scorsese's films. And I want a Karen Hill movie. I want this movie told from the Karen Hill perspective and for her to be like the protagonist. And... I think that says something about her performance if I truly want that much more from her. And I think she's great and she gets my win for the year. Girl, you done shocked me. Did you hear my whoa? I did. <laughs> I was not expecting that. Ah, uh, good Lord, I was not expecting that. Good choice, though. Um, all right, so that leaves me with Whoopi Goldberg and Ghost and Diane Ladd and Wild at Heart. Um, this is extremely, extremely tough. And I've got to say, I'm not pulling out a tie here. Surprise, surprise. 
Um, but I am going to go with what I wrote down. The runner-up will be Diane Ladd. Whoopi Goldberg, who is the actual winner, I definitely think deserve this win. Um, this was very, very hard. I, I love Diane Ladd so much in Wild at Heart. Um, if I would have tied it, obviously these the two I would have tied. But Whoopi Goldberg earned every inch of that Oscar. Um, her line delivery, Odame Brown's like stupidity, to her full on just like I'm gonna fuck you up, to I got your back, to your Molly, your Molly, you're in danger, girl. I mean, everything Whoopi does here is so smart. Um, you know, Diane Ladd, I mentioned, I love you know the whispering she's got and her nails and her the the big hair and you know I, I I fucking bow down to that queen and everything she did in that movie. But this was definitely Whoopi's. For me, this was, um, I guess, for the Academy, too, not to sound like a dick, but um, I guess I this is the second time I've agreed with the Academy, and this is um, this is a good one. I really appreciate Whoopi Goldberg and Ghost. Yeah, she's great in Ghost. Yeah. I don't knock her win at all. Um, I think it's a worthy win. Mm-hmm. It's a goodie. Yep. It's a goodie. Um, all right, so your lead actress's reminder were Angelica Houston in The Grifters, Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman, Joanne Woodward in Mr. and Mrs. Bridge, Kathy Bates in Misery, and Meryl Streep in Postcards from the Edge. Um, no shocker, number five for me is Joanne Woodward for playing a housewife. Well, my uh, number five is Julia Roberts uh, for Pretty Woman. It just doesn't really do anything for me, the movie or the performance. Um, it's one of those things where I get why so many people rally around it. Um, it's just not my cup of tea. So Julia Roberts gets my five. Heard. Well, Julia Roberts is my number four. Um, I, I agree to every sentiment you just said, um, but it's still it's a it's a it's a Golden Globe performance for me. I don't see where it is Oscar worthy, um, but it did become or did make Julia Roberts the '90s America sweetheart. So good for her. Mm-hmm. Um, so my number four is going to Meryl Streep for Postcards from the Edge. I think she's great in Postcards from the Edge, and I love when we get comedy from her. But these other ones just did a little bit more for me on a bit more of a visceral, psychological level, even though I think Meryl is really wonderful here in Postcards, but she's going to get my number four this year. Heard. Well, number three is going to the winner of that year, Kathy Bates. Um, the final three for me were really, really hard to choose from, but Kathy is perfect as Annie Wilkes. There's not a singular negative thing I have to say about this performance. Um, she's campy where I need her to be campy. She's funny where I need her to be funny. She's scary where I need her to, be, her to be scary. And all around, her win is great. But for me, I have to give her third. There's just, um, it's, she's third. Yeah. Leaving her a third. Uh, my two and three was really tough. I've been going back and forth on it. Um, but I guess I'm just going to go with what I'm feeling right now. I'm going to put Joanne Woodward at number three for Mr. and Mrs. Bridge. I got a lot out of that performance that I wasn't expecting. Mm -hmm. But um, it's not. But I wouldn't exactly call it the greatest performance of the year or even Joanne Woodward's greatest performance. But I think it is worth checking out, especially if you are a fan of Woodward and um, Paul Newman. And James Ivory, too, because I guess he, uh, he directed this. Um, but, yeah, it's um, not my favorite, so I'm going to give it number three. Heard. Well, that leaves Meryl Streep from Postcards from the Edge and Angelica Houston from The Grifters for me. Um, both of which actresses I've given Oscars before to, Dear Hunter for Meryl and Enemies of Love Story for Angelica. Um, I'm sticking with this. Um, my runner-up is Angelica Houston. I'm giving Meryl Streep the win here. 
Um, I'm going to start with Angelica. I think this is, again, her best performance, even though I rewarded her last year. Um, but it, it really what sold her for being so high for me is the reaction to her killing her son. Um, I think that is just fucking tragic and horrible and beautiful. Meryl Streep, though, in Postcards from the Edge, and I will go to record on this, this, I will say, is, in my opinion, Meryl's best nominated performance. Um, even more than Sophie's and all that shit. Um, I love Meryl Streep in Postcards from the Edge. Um, this is also the first time I've truly enjoyed a performance from Meryl since The Deer Hunter, because as we heard last season, like we weren't really keen on Meryl for anything, um, and that goes for you and me. Um, but this is the first time I truly, truly love Meryl. It's my favorite performance from her ever. It's my favorite nomination from her ever. And I really think this is her best that she's ever done because it's such a 180 from what we've seen her do. And she, per she's one of those few actors that can perfectly mix comedy and drama and postcards from the edge should have been a fucking win for her. Um, but yeah, so Angelica gets my runner up and Meryl Streep is my winner, baby. So my top two are Kathy Bates in Misery and Angelica Houston in The Grifters, uh, both of whom I think are perfect in their roles in very different uh, specific ways. But I'm going to give the runner-up to Angelica Houston for The Grifters, and I'm giving Kathy Bates the win for Misery. Angelica Houston is, like, spot on for this sort of neo-noir, gritty, maternal, femme fatale sort of character. I think she's perfection in that. But Kathy Bates, I think, truly gives one of the most remarkable performances in Oscar history and misery. Um, she really takes you through everything, and she really makes you afraid for, afraid of her and afraid for James Caan, because you never know what she's going to do next. And it's all completely believable. Um, some different, some other actors may have made it a little phony, a little bit too all over the place and scattered. But with Kathy Bates... I, it's completely um, coherent for me. There's a through line for it. And I think every twist and turn that her character's mind goes through makes sense and is warranted. And it has a very um, scary and believable build to it. And I just think it's a really great movie. And uh, Kathy Bates gets my win for the year. That's awesome. Yay. This was a good year. Yeah, there's a... There was a lot of really good stuff to talk about. Did I shock you with my winners? I had a feeling you were going with Diane Ladd, so I was surprised uh, by that one. But I also knew that you were fond of postcards from the edge, so I wasn't too terribly surprised by that. You definitely shocked me with Lorraine Bracco. I was not yeah. expecting that. I, I honestly was expecting you to go Ladder Goldberg. Um, you shocked me with how much you loved Mr. and Mrs. Bridge, and I was really scared that you were going to reward her. Um, so once you said three, I did like a over here. I was like, thank you. Um, but I, I had a feeling you were going with Kathy Bates for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. It was a good season premiere. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to mention something because I thought this was hilarious and I sent it to you and I posted it on our Twitter. But I just want to say something if it's okay. So we got our first review on iTunes <laughs> and it gave me so much life. I was really excited, and it had come out uh, on July thirtieth, and it we got our four we got our first four star review because everything had been five stars before, but we actually had someone write something in, and I'm just gonna read it really quick because it, it needs to be addressed, and it's amazing. Brandon Yay, Joey Nay, and that's the headline of it. Four stars. I heard about this podcast from, and the runner up is 
uh, which is excellent for Oscar watchers slash, slash actress sexuals. This is a generally fun trip down memory lane. However, it, it's a stretch to call it an LGBT guide to the Oscars per category per decade per or per category per year because it only ever covers best actress and best supporting actress category. So it's not exactly comprehensive or particularly queer other than the two hosts are gay. And speaking of the hosts, Brandon sounds much more thoughtful, nuanced, and like a real cinephile than Joey, who seems to be here for only broad, campy, or over-the-top performances in films. Otherwise, they're dismissed as boring. No depth, no real substance, just basic, ignorant takes that are shallow at best. It would be nice to get richer, deeper, more analytical discussions of Oscar's past, particularly given the time periods and cultural forces when these movies were made. P.S. Singular doesn't mean single. Those words have different meanings, Joey. That is from Think Brink. Now, when I sent this to you, I was like, this is amazing. And your response were like the wide eye emojis with, oh, Lord. Here's the thing. This is amazing. Thank you so much, Think Brink. Couple things. Number one, um, per actress per category per decade, we're only in our first round here. Like, we have talked plans, so give us a moment. Um, but I, I do want to say, think Brink, if you've made it this far and you're listening, um, come on the show. I want to hear. I want to hear what you got to say because, um, you know, you have your opinions and I respect them and I'm interested to hear what you think you could do to make the show better. So I'm putting an open invite to you, Think Brink, that if you want to do it, DM us. Let's do it. Let's have a conversation. How do you feel about it? I feel fine with it. Um, I think it's, a. Uh... It was a nice review. It was cool to get a review in the first place. Yeah, and for sure. I don't, I don't think anything that he said is um, particularly wrong, per se. Um, I think it's all very thoughtful, and make, it made sense to me when I read it. I understand where he's coming from. So um, I would definitely be interested in um, hearing more. It makes me curious at what episode he was listening to, though, because it came out on, or he wrote it on July 30th, and granted, like, in the runner-up is, you know, we all in the film Twitter world, retweet each other's stuff to get it out there. Um, so I'm wondering if he had listened to 86, which was a very dull year for, I think, both of us, if I'm not mistaken. Um, because I th did think that I mentioned that Tess Harper is over the top, and that's why I gave it to her, but also, too, I gave it to her because no one ever says Tess Harper. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, Brandon and I are such a yin and yang. That's why I think this works for us so well. And it's given us the following that we do. So I was, um, I was living for this review, to be honest with you. Yeah, it was fun to read it. I do. I, I will say, I do think it's interesting. Ig ignorant takes that are shallow. La 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 low at best. Um, let me know. Let me know what you think that was ignorant. Cause, uh, you know, opinions, everyone's got them. Um, whether they're right or wrong, it's up to the person who said them, not anybody else. But I'm interested. I'm interesting to hear what you think that I've said that is so shallow, because I mean, you know, half the things. Not you, think Brink. Um, you know, it's uh, we we shade for a reason, sir. It's in our it's in our description. So I'm living for it. Thank you for that. Thank. So if anyone else wants to review, go for it. Yeah, for sure. We welcome it, dude. I mean. We know that this is not going to be everyone's cup of tea, you know, just like not every performance is our cup of tea. Um, sure. But we definitely welcome the reviews, whether you like us or not, let us know. It's, you know, we're not calling you out. We're not like, fuck you. You know, I brought that up because, A, it's our first. I thought it was exciting to get it. And, two, I think it's hilarious. Um, trust us, 
I mean, trust me when I say you're not hurting my feelings if you say you don't like me. Like, that's that's okay. I'm literally not for everybody. Um, but yeah, it, they, it, made, they made some valid points that are definitely worth uh, yeah. thinking about. So, so we yeah, dig it. Let us, into let us know. Let us know. And guys, good luck with these um, um, cat or these uh, contests we do each week. Not... Andrew Carden came very, very close to us for the 87 episode. He missed it by one, or maybe it was the 86 episode. Um, but no one has actually won this Academy Queens merch yet, so hopefully someone will get it this season. But also, as, too... As of we're recording, we have two more episodes to air. Yes. Yes. Of the 80s. 88 and 89 still have to be done. But also... Someone might win one of those years. Yes. But we have a... Because we... This is our season premiere. Um, you know, the dynamic is a little different now because... I mean, I wouldn't say different, but it is different to record because you now are in Maryland and I'm still in Ohio. Um, but we are bringing in a lot of guests this season. Mm-hmm. We have um, some pretty cool guests lined up. Um, we'll announce them before, you know, everything goes through. But, uh, you know, the guest response from Kevin was really, really good. This week coming up, we have Craig um, Jordan on for the class of 88. Uh, but you guys really, really liked it. We got a lot of good feedback, so we uh, we got some really good guests for you guys, and I'm really excited for you to hear. Yeah, I'm excited too. I hope uh, people enjoy the the guests and the discussion that we have coming up. For sure. Brandon, do you want to add anything else? Um, I don't think so. Not at the moment. All right. Perfect. Well, this has been Shallow, Joey Gentili. And I have been Brandon Stanwyck. <laughs> I have been. And this <laughs> is Academy Queens, your LGBT guide, because yes, we are gay through the categories per decade, per category, but starting with the actresses. Uh, Academy Queens, and welcome back, and we love you, and thank you for supporting us, and keep it going. Bye. Bye.